before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It. Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is Friday, December 10th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count. Might be Saturday. You might be missing out on some non college football action. You might be in a place where it's raining or snowing this weekend and and you're stopping into the Take It Easy podcast and you, we we absolutely appreciate that. Every single way that you tune into this podcast is much appreciated. It is helping to support our dreams over here on the Take It Easy podcast to produce and make fun content like this and get paid a ridiculous amount of money to do it, which is a living wage, because there is no way I should be able to make a living wage doing this, and yet I see people all the time doing it. Pat McAfee just got $90 million yesterday, so maybe that will be one day a dream of ours. But in the meantime, we appreciate you downloading, leaving those five-star reviews and follows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, wherever it is that you're stopping in here. You might actually be checking this out from the Believe feed, so thank you for stopping in. If you are a huge believer... See what I did there? Uh, We got a fun show today. Walter Mitchell's going to come on on the back end of the show and deliver his picks for the week for us. That's just going to be a little bit of a a tangent at the end. It would normally be something we'd plug in as an A block, but we'll just flip the A and B blocks here on a Friday podcast and jump right into our main story of the day, which is Major League Baseball, as you may have gauged from the title to this podcast, because... We've got some downtime here. You know, there's there's no college football this weekend other than the Army-Navy game, but the Army-Navy game has lost its lust for me over the past couple years because it has now been hijacked by a certain group of people to send a certain message that uh, I don't necessarily like about the military-industrial complex. So I'm less excited about that game than I used to be as a child. Uh, again, just political climate has pushed me away from that the same way it's pushed me away from celebrating the 4th of July the way that I used to, feeling weird about wearing the American flag and things like that because they've been co-opted in different messages over the last three or four years. So you might be getting into that. You might want to watch Bryce Young be coordinated, one of the weakest Heisman Trophy winners of the last 10 years. But we got some downtime here today. And so I wanted to spend this downtime period talking about something that 
I was saving for when we have less chaos from football, when we have less time on our hands, or sorry, less more actively going on, more time on our hands, I guess would be the easiest way to do that instead of just blabbering around saying more time on our hands. But when we got more time on our hands, I did want to dive into this Major League Baseball lockout story uh, because Major League Baseball is now two full weeks into a lockout. Seems weird because there hasn't really been that much coverage around it. And it's a story that's going to keep going on for months and months and months and there aren't going to be a lot of new developments, and so we're going to forget about it a little bit, similarly to a lot of the stories that we talk about on here in more serious context, whether that's the Henry Ruggs situation. We talked about that for two days, and I talked about this could be something that drives a further conversation in relation to DUI and how we view this as society, or it can be a one-day, one-week news story that fades out. Seems to be the case there. Deshaun Watson's the same situation, where... There haven't been any new developments in the story, but the story is still ongoing. And so in our downtime, we find ways to talk about this unless there's new developments. And the Major League Baseball labor battle is another one of these stories that is boring to talk about, takes a really long time, and to be honest, most people don't really care that much about labor battles. Uh, hence the general sentiment around labor and labor unions and uh, organized labor fighting against management in America as a whole. People don't really care as much about organized labor. And so let, what I wanted to do today and what I've wanted to do for a couple weeks is just take a one big picture look at the Major League Baseball lockout where things stand now, how it looks relative to what things were 18 months ago. It might sound a little John Oliver-y with less facts, but that's kind of what the vibe is here on the podcast, is John Oliver without the same journalistic credibility. So that's what I kind of want to take a look at, is kind of the long-form story of what the Major League Baseball lockout is going to look like over the next few months, because that's the first part to tap into here. This feels like it was already coordinated months and months and years into the past and so this feels more like more than anything else this feels like it's just organizational it's procedural at this point this is just a procedural thing that's going to happen this is not so much that any massive moment happened i think both parties were prepared to let the collective bargaining agreement expire they were prepared to go through a lockout in the off season and it would apply pressure on both parties once we got closer to losing actual games, which would then affect the television contracts, which would then have to be renegotiated by each of the 30 clubs and Major League Baseball for their national partners. Probably less so for the national partner side because the playoffs wouldn't be in jeopardy. It would more so be those like meaningless ESPN regular season Wednesday games that would have to be renegotiated. Seems like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of the money that we're talking about for baseball, not as much as it might seem. Regional television contracts are more the thing that are negotiated because 60% of Major League Baseball revenue for teams individually comes from those individual television contracts, or at least somewhere in that figure. Again, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but a significant portion of revenue comes from those television dollars and radio dollars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So Major League Baseball... This is this would be, by technical terms, the first major labor battle of my lifetime. Uh, I was 11 years old when the NBA lockout happened for about two months, and I didn't really understand the complexities. I still don't understand what the argument was about in the NBA, more so than just 
uh, a divide between players on the highest end of the earning spectrum of NBA players and the lower end of the spectrum, which, by the way, is a divide that also split the NFL in their labor battle back in 2020 at the start of the pandemic. And so Major League Baseball, this lockout is technically the first major labor battle I've experienced, and yet it's also not because we went through this exact same thing 18 months ago back in June during the pandemic, including at a time where we didn't have a lot of, of content going on so we could take a deeper dive into the Major League Baseball labor battle. And what ended up happening when the pandemic came in March of 2020 was that it sped up the process on a lot of the labor issues that baseball had been preparing for this offseason, but was then exacerbated because the pandemic and the five three-month delay, I think it was a three-month delay where we put sports on pause because we were going into lockdowns and such. The three-month delay dipping into the Major League Baseball season forced Major League Baseball to have to essentially rip up the current collective bargaining agreement and renegotiate for the 2020 season. And if we remember, baseball's original plan was that they wanted to play opening day on July 4th, and that was the intention of their labor battle. And so they July 4th came, July 4th went, and then there was kind of concern about whether or not there would be a start to baseball season anytime in the near future. Like they would just, you know, punt on the season or jump into a giant 32 team playoff or 30 team playoff. Baseball only has 30 teams, but a giant 30 team playoff as a regular season as a way to just collect whatever last bit of television dollars they could. And baseball ended up coming to a baseline term they concede the dh they concede shorter seasons a three-week spring training which was believed to then lead to some arm injury issues and all of the stuff that they negotiated on the front end just to make sure that they protected the postseason format and whatever little bit of the regular season that they could it ended up being like 38 percent of the season with the 60 game season players got 38 percent money for their contracts and also got a full year of service time which by the way May not seem like a lot, but it was one of the big victories for the union that we will talk about once we get to what is going to happen in three months with the full service time despite only playing 38% of a season. All of this coming back to the 2021 or the 2020 labor battle, it ended up pushing the season back a little bit, but they got the season in at the very last minute they could, and it was a really enjoyable 60-game season. Was it enjoyable because I think the 162-game season is really long? Yes. Was it enjoyable because the Padres made the playoffs for the first time in my memorable lifetime? Yes. So it was obviously a very fun run for me there. I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. But either way, baseball was about collecting the revenue, even though a lot of the stadiums were still empty. Uh, they set up the postseason, if you remember, where they did it at neutral sites so that they could let fans in for certain games and not have to do the travel back and forth. They had a COVID scare at the very end of the World Series, etc. But what they basically did was punt on labor negotiations again in order to protect the full season. And in fairness to the Major League Baseball Players Union, they did win some concessions for that season alone that the owners then took back once they went back to the original collective bargaining agreement for the 2021 season because those concessions would then be used in this negotiating period, such as the universal DH. And 
at the, and also uh, you could argue the full year of service time although because both parties aren't planning on missing any games this season the service time thing doesn't really matter again we'll get to that in a second so baseball goes through that whole run there 18 months ago and it feels like major league baseball went through that and came back to the negotiating table with the players union this time and it was a standoff there because the labor union was going to fight on this one and this is a good thing the labor union should do a lot of the pent-up frustration here has gone back to what happened in 2016 in 2016 the labor union got a bad deal from major league baseball they ended up sneaking in concessions such as fixed uh sal- fixed Uh, Luxury tax thresholds, which now operate as virtually a salary cap for all but about four teams in baseball. Uh, No salary floor, which meant that teams that were tanking could end up lowering and lowering and lowering their salaries, which basically, which virtually wiped out the middle class in baseball. Uh, And you also had fixed slots in um, MLB draft money. So there was a fixed income on draft picks that were conceded in exchange for Uh, More so luxury terms is what I've heard from under the collective bargaining agreement. Things like personal chefs, uh, private planes uh, with certain amenities and things of these sorts. These were concessions that were made to the players and it was overwhelmingly regarded as a bad deal pretty quickly. Because if you remember, for those of you who are baseball fans, the 2017 offseason with Eric Hosmer as the major free agent, and um, I, I can't remember who the other person was that year. There was another big free agent that offseason. Um, anyways, the point being that all the free agents didn't sign until February and March because the, the owners could wait it out and thinking the values would go down. Now, the big players ended up getting big contracts, but people in the middle class, they ended up getting squeezed on a lot of one-year deals, two-year deals, and the market really messed them up there. And so... It was only once we got close to spring training and even into spring training that some of those contracts were actually signed. Then we fast forward to a year later, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado free agent class, all of the middle free agents in there, guys like Josh Harrison, who ended up signing a one-year deal with the Tigers. Um, Players like that in the middle class end up getting squeezed out of their contracts by teams who are either tanking or teams that recognize the market is going to let it play out all the way through. And there are, you know, allegations of collusion and things of these sorts because it was a really, really bad free agency for players and big free agent contracts. And so this is a big deal for baseball because baseball's salary cap is structured where you get six years of below market value and often you cash in after six years. In the NBA, you only have three or four year rookie contracts depending on options and things of those sorts. In the NFL, you have four and sometimes five year rookie contracts. Baseball essentially has six year rookie contracts and sometimes it can be seven because of how service time gets manipulated and the time that you hit for agency. It's why in baseball you have people all the time who like stay in the minors for April and then come up in May because it's manipulating service time to get them an extra year of free agency. Chris Bryant is one of the best examples of that and he tried to go to arbitration with the Cubs over that to get free agency in 2020 instead of 2021 he loses and he ends up now uh, unsigned in free agency as the labor negotiation goes on and so this happens a lot in baseball where because the rookie contracts last so long but the back-end contracts end up being so significant because 
Uh, wages are so low when you're first getting into the league that teams have a lot of cap space to spend in free agency. Baseball has big-time free agent splurges, uh, especially when you have 25 players. And so when you have a larger salary cap to fill more players and more players are, are fixed salaries at very low values, you have a lot of space to spend on players and it drives up value in free agency. It's why baseball has some of the richest contracts in base in all of major league of all four American sports and really global sports as a whole. And why when we talk about player empowerment for people in the top, you know, 10 or 15 stars in the NBA, baseball has had that same power going back to Giancarlo Stanton leveraging his way out of Miami, uh, Nolan Arenado leveraging his way out of Colorado. Uh, we can go back to Manny Ramirez, back with the Dodgers. Uh, players have had that leverage in baseball to make such moves, especially because the no-trade clause is one of the original negotiators from baseball before the NBA and the NFL. And NFL players with the no-trade clause are using that leverage as well. So all of that to say, baseball get, the players' union gets a bad deal in 2016, and they go into 2021 saying, we are going to use all the leverage that we have, and it's a lot of leverage in this situation, to fight the uh, to fight the battle uh, that we did that we lost in 2016, and get the concessions back from the owners. And the reason they have leverage is this. And I got this note from David Sampson over on the Nothing Personal podcast on CBS. He also goes on Levitard Show quite a bit. In a standoff. The financial implications will be more detrimental to owners than it will be to players. And that means players have leverage in delaying the process as long as they can. Because if you delay it long enough and you call the bluff on the owners and you get to a certain point where the television contracts no longer become guaranteed, that is when owners will start to give up concessions because they feel the pressure of your leverage and so if players have the leverage in this situation it's beneficial for them to drag this out as long as they can and this is probably what is going to happen which is why i said this is a story that's boring a lot of people don't really care that much about organized labor and it's going to go on for a long time with not many developments for weeks at a time the reason for this is it is beneficial to the players and to the owners to a certain extent to drag out this negotiation. But when push comes to shove, leverage will be in the camp of the players as long as they're willing to call the bluff on the owners, which they've had years to prepare for this situation. Thus, they can probably call the bluff here on the owners, especially given that right before the lockout began, when you set a fixed deadline on when transactions had to stop, massive amounts of money were being spent by major league owners including by the way small market teams that are not contending which is something that has not happened in a while in baseball texas dropped 600 600 million dollars on free agents seattle dropped 20 200 million dollars on free agents i know seattle's slightly closer than texas toronto who was close to the playoffs dropped tons of money the miami marlins spent on two big free agents or re-signed sandy alcantara and signed avisail garcia for 64 million dollars the detroit tigers spent over 100 million dollars and they haven't been to the playoffs in five years big amounts of money were being spent this cycle 
just before the lockout began, and a lot of people signed for money. The Chicago Cubs, who just traded their entire team and were going to start rebuilding, signed Marcus Stroman for $41 million. Washington Nationals signed a bunch of people right before, and they traded their entire team at the deadline and immediately turned around and started spending money again right before. So it's an interesting dynamic that played out there, and it leads into what I was saying a second ago, Players can call the bluff on owners, and owners will ultimately concede when push comes to shove. Now, both team, both sides are going to play the long game on this. They're not going to use the game theory strategy of, you know, you you make you know what your odds are now. You know what the odds will be down the road. You just speed it up to make the decision. You just get to the end game as quickly as possible. You do it in one result, one play, instead of uh, dragging it out over a longer time. But it's been a, the leverage goes up the odds improve for the players as this drags out and in the short term it, it it stays relatively the same for the owners until you put the threat of losing games on the table because owners save expenses over the next three months they don't have to spend on spring training facilities yet and and flights and things of those sorts the winter meetings were canceled the gm meetings were canceled those are saved expenses therefore technically higher revenues because you have lower costs for it's a base just basic economic thing which is just if you have less costs you technically have more revenue because revenue is just um your earnings minus your costs that's what your revenue is so if you if you subtract some of those costs technically revenue goes up in a lockout so that's why it's beneficial for owners for players their leverage increases as the threat of a season coming goes down because the earnings losses will be absorbed more by owners than it will be for them especially and this brings a loop back to what we were talking about earlier if players will still get a full year of service time for playing a shorter season because yes you're going to lose some revenue on the front end this is what they're prepared to do when going into a lockout they are prepared to lose some monicum of revenue it's going to hurt the players but in the grand picture if you look at this from a macro level the owners are going to feel the pinch more than you and so you will get the concessions by going through the by fighting through the lockout and delaying the season as long as possible according to David Sampson saying leverage is in their favor. So I'm going to trust his word on that one. He's a very smart business insider-y person. And if the players have the leverage, then it benefits them to drag it out, even if they only make 75% of their contracts this year, 60% of their contracts this year. The leverage play, and you get full service time, which means if you don't have a giant contract, which is, an, again, an insignificant portion of union MLB players, don't have gigantic contracts right now relative to their peers like you know there's a lot of 120 million dollar people and then there's a lot of people making somewhere between uh, $900,000 and a million dollars which was the thing we talked about during the 2020 World Series where the the people on the poster for the World Series were Mookie Betts and Randy Arozarena for Dodgers versus Rays Mookie Betts that season was making 36 million dollars Randy Rosarena was making $90,000 and that is 90 like less than $100,000 playing baseball for the Rays because his original contract was 270000 as a rookie bouncing between AAA and the majors and he was only playing uh, 38% of the season so it was less it was less than the $270,000 because the season had been shortened down so yeah Randy Rosarena was making 900000 or sorry 
$90,000 when he was hitting 11 homers a year in the play or 80, 11 homers in the playoffs in face of the Tampa Bay Rays made the World Series. Weird anomaly, but it highlights basically the point of baseball, which is it's a lot of stars and scrubs models, especially for big teams. It's seven people making lots of money and 18 people making insignificant amounts of money relative to their peers and what they could be making relative to what they're producing according to market value. Players are not making what they are worth until about five to six years into their major league career. This is the case with most rookie models because owners have negotiated fixed costs for rookie contracts in past collective bargaining uh, negotiations. And so players find themselves in this position where they hold the leverage there and they can get full years of service time, which means you can protect the body from wear and tear and still get closer to your big cash out if you're the 70% of the league that has not gotten through arbitration or gotten through your rookie contract. You can protect the body and get your full year of service time, similarly to how they got the full year of service time in 2020 during the pandemic season. And so this is another leverage play that players have in that situation, which is they can afford to wait because... You will lose some financial compensation, but if you're not one of the people who is set up to make larger financial compensation when you hit free agency for the first time, you can afford to wait this out because you will get more money in free agency on the back end if you wait it out now and play the long game on this. And the the again, the longer you stretch this into the season, presumably there is more leverage in favor of the players, and so you can call the owner's bluffs and get concessions on uh, rookie wage scale increases and uh, increasing the slot money bonuses and universal DHs, which will add an extra spot to each team and things like that that the, the union is looking to negotiate in this settlement with the new collective bargaining agreement. And so this brings it all together for a labor fight in M- it, this also, by the way, one last point before we bring it to a labor versus management macro conversation. Uh, it's especially important for the MLB Players Association to fight now, especially if Major League Baseball wants to extend a 10-plus year television deal, similarly to what the NFL did last year. For those who don't remember, the NFL negotiated a 10-year collective bargaining agreement, part by splitting the divi- splitting a divide between the people making lots of money and the people making the minimum and raising the floor in exchange for not a lot of concessions on the other side. And it feels like a bad deal by the NFLPA, one that might cost uh, DeMarcus, Lauren, or DeMarcus Smith, DeMore Smith, DeMore Smith, I think is how it's pronounced, DeMore Smith, his job as NFLPA leader. If you've read reporting that uh, Don Venata and Seth Wickersham did for ESPN, it talks about how uh, this was a really pro- there were a lot of pro uh, management lawyers in the NFLPA during negotiation and things of those sorts. But anyways, bringing it back, so they negotiated a ten-year deal regarded as not favorable for the players, and then the NFL negotiated a twelve-year television deal with Amazon. With NF, with all of their partners, Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN, Amazon, etc., um, they negotiated a 12-year deal immediately after securing labor peace for 10 years, which guarantees that there will not be a work stoppage. And so, NFL does that. If baseball wants to do something similar and cash out on the last big network television deal before we move into the streaming era 
of like, you know, MLB games being on ESPN plus and NBA games being on or not, sorry, MLB games being on, uh, I don't know what is TBS doesn't have one. Um, whatever, whatever paywall Paramount plus maybe, maybe Paramount plus gets in on the MLB game or something like that. Um, before you put live baseball broadcast behind a paywall and start cord cutting, this is one last big grasp for cable television on those contracts because again live sports are in such ridiculously high demand for cable television because they are the one event that brings in live viewership therefore you can sell advertisements for live viewership etc etc live sports are single-handedly keeping cable television alive to a certain extent it's why like 25 of the last 28 largest cable television broadcasts were nfl games in the last like 18 months or something like that. It's just all NFL games. And so bringing this out to a macro level conversation about labor versus management as a whole. Management does not need your help. I'm not saying you specifically. I'm saying people who argue in a pro-management stance here. Management has, especially in corporations, infinite resources at their disposal to fight unions, which means if they simply have the will to fight unions, they can use their infinite resources to a T, whether this is through lawsuits or whether this is through uh, hiring anti-union firms, such as what Amazon did when they shut down that uh, unionization movement in Bessemer, Alabama. This is, this is infinite resources being put to use dependent on what the will of the the corporation is and management in this case can be corporations it is in major league baseball it is in amazon it is in a lot of these cases we're talking about you can talk about your local management you know eight hundred thousand dollar pizza joint trying to unionize you can talk about that if you want we're talking about like big corporations and large-scale unions in major commerces here or at least even middle commerces which are still worth millions of dollars or industries worth millions of dollars instead of billions of dollars like we're talking about with sports companies and Amazon and Target and all of the uh, all companies that have uh, a fight for organize or who are trying to quell organized union because you can at, at its essence at its essence lower labor costs and on a basic level most basic economic principle I can give you on this revenue is equal to or sorry yeah revenue is equal to your profits minus your costs, which means if you lower costs, your revenue goes up. Your major costs are the things you're putting in to produce stuff and the people who are, go- the people, sorry, the, the three main costs are the land that you're using, the the things that are put into whatever it is that you're making, the, the means of production, the things that you are putting in to it and your labor. So if you can lower the cost of labor, you can increase your revenues, which is the essence of why corporations fight unions is because they can get lower labor costs without union representation. Most people probably knew that, just thought I should put it out there right now. And so management does not need your help in fighting unions. They have infinite resources at their disposal. And in the case of most corporations, 
massive propaganda arms that they can use with their infinite resources. Massive propaganda arms to fight unions and sway public opinion. One of the great propaganda campaigns of the last 40 years in America is the anti-union campaign by corporations and management. In successfully convincing people who would benefit from unions especially, but convincing people that unions are not good things, that unions are not beneficial for workers. It, which, again, I laugh saying it because it, it's propaganda. It's it's reverse psychology so that ultimately in all of the confusion, you can do whatever you want. This is basically the authoritarian ideology, which is if you create mass confusion, ultimately you are the power broker. And if you are in a position of power around mass confusion, you can basically do whatever you want. And so creating mass confusion around unions and climate change is right up there too. The, the propaganda campaign, campaign around climate change has also been uh, one of the most successful of the last 40 years. But specifically, the, the, the propaganda campaign against unions has been one of the most successful over the last 40 years, which is why you see in California, you have union membership over the past 40 years from 1972 until, or sorry, from 19, 50 years, from 1972 until 2012, you see 80% declines in union membership in the state. Uh, in the state of Georgia, you see union memberships decline close to 300% over the last 50 years. You go from about 12% union membership to about 4% union membership. Uh, in Pennsylvania, you go from 36% in 1972. In 2012, it's down to just 13%. Uh, in Minnesota, you go from 30% down to 14.4%. These are 200% declines to 300% declines in many of these places. Uh, you could go to North Carolina. North Carolina, 9% in 1972, down to just 3% union membership in 2012. This is courtesy of NPR, by the way. If you want to see the, the map all the way through, uh, you can check out the link in the description to this episode. This is a, a, the anti-union campaign of the last 40 years has been one of the strongest propaganda arms in America. <laughs> you could put it right up there with uh, whitewashing of history and climate change as the most successful propaganda campaign, campaigns in America. So we're talking about corporations and management has infinite resources relative to their peers and massive propaganda arms. They do not need your help in supporting unions or in, in crushing unions or being pro-management. Pro-management arguments do not need your help. They are doing quite fine. There's a lot of people who could use your help in fighting for labor. And this is really the basic argument of why I always advocate in favor of pro-labor in these situations, even as Major League Baseball players still bring in billions of dollars in revenue and have great revenue sharing. Why is that the case? Because they have a really strong union. That's why Major League Baseball players make so much money, why professional athletes make so much money. They have really, really strong unions. And so pro-union people really do need your help advocating for them. And this is all over the country. Like we, we threw out California, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania as examples, but you could go to pretty much every state. This is a national campaign to fight against organized labor. So the flip side is... There is a lot of benefit that could come from labor organizations be having advocates in public opinion. This is the thing that's shifted me over the past couple of years, which is it's it's really important for people in the majority, and I'm not in the majority in this case, but in cases where we're talking about race, uh, sexual orientation, gender, 
um, religion, of things of these sorts. I'm in the majority on most of these. I'm a straight white man, uh, relatively well off. Like this, this is something, uh, you know, grew up, not grew up Christian, but you know, when we talk about religion, we talk about oppression of religions that are not previously of my own. And so you have, it's very important for people in the majority to advocate for the minority opinion. And in this case, I'm not in the majority. I would be someone who really benefits from organized labor in my near future. Organized, I am not management. I am something, I am more so labor, very much so. So I am in the minority on this one. And so it's important to advocate for your own oppression, which has a loaded language. So I say that, you know, in context of like, there was worse oppression than this. Um, but in this context, the word oppression is important here. I'm not trying to be tone deaf around this one, but at the same time, that's an argument for organized labor. And then on the flip side, this is the same case that applies to everything else. It's very important for people in the majority to argue the minority opinion, because that is how you're going to drive change and a better future for less off people or for people with less and are facing, you know, things that are out of their control, whether that's racism or misogyny or um, homophobia, uh, religious hate crimes, uh, wealth inequality, wage inequality. You could go down the list of people who are marginalized in society, and it's very important for people in the majority to argue the minority opinion. And this is very much the case in a battle of labor versus management, because as we talked about, we're talking about infinite resources and gigantic propaganda arms fighting against organized labor and so it's really important to fight for organized labor and in this case that might be willingness to sacrifice on behalf of this cause i've talked before about how important like racial equality and wage inequality fighting wage inequality is to me and i would be willing to sacrifice when presented a worthy cause this is something that not only do i talk the talk i am willing to walk the walk when opportunity presents itself and this is something important in the fight for organized labor which is a willingness to walk the walk as well as talking about this and so that might mean in this small context sacrificing watching baseball in exchange for fights of organized labor because it's benefits organized labor to drag this thing out according to david sampson of the nothing personal podcast i'm taking his word on this i haven't crunched the numbers myself or read like business journal reports on this if it's beneficial for labor to drag out the negotiations into the season and lose baseball games then it's important that we sacrifice this in order to help organized labor succeed in their gains against management here. And again, it's a small sacrifice. I talked about earlier, I think 162 game season is too long. For the first two months of that, April and May, hell yeah, I'd cut off the season. I'm watching basketball at that time. There are alternatives. I'm engaging with real people. If I don't have to sit around and watch a baseball game at 7 o'clock at night, I'll meditate. I'll find something else to do. Again, it's a small, small concession in this case. But it's really easy for me to make that concession, and therefore I want to make that concession on behalf of organized labor if and when this drags out into the season and we start having more intense daily conversations about the labor strike the same way that we did back in 2020. If it benefits labor, it is important that we support labor in this fight and use and, and let them use their leverage. Let them gain more leverage against their management because leverage is so hard to find in arguments of organized labor this is why strikes are super important why because at a certain point at when you strip everything away when you're fighting a battle against infinite resources and you're fighting a battle against 
uh, against an organization that has a massive propaganda arm and infinite resources and all the leverage in the world, your one point of leverage is withholding your labor. Withholding your labor is the one leverage that you have left against your ownership and against your management all the way through is you can withhold your labor and all of a sudden there is no means of production. You can attack revenue because you need labor in some way, shape, or form. And if you withhold said labor, ultimately you will gain certain concessions. If they're irrational concessions, then owners might or um, management might look at other alternatives like hiring scabs or taking your job away, et cetera, et cetera. And this is why it's important to have legislation that protects unions, which is also under attack over the last 40 years. Not surprisingly, legislation in Congress has basically stripped unions of many of their protections, the same way it gutted the Voting Rights Act back in 2012 in a totally racist act that, again, leads to what happens in 2020 with, or 2021 with uh, new laws that are aimed to suppress votes, uh, suppress black votes, more specifically black votes in the South. All of that to say, bringing it back to the labor fight, it's important to make a sacrifice in this case. And at the very least, just ask at the bare minimum out of all of this podcast. And if you, you, you look at me with a skeptical eye through all of this at the bare minimum, ask yourself to think about what you would be willing to sacrifice in this event. If you don't want to sacrifice baseball games, if you are firmly entrenched and I want to have my feel good every single night and watch my Boston Red Sox play, fair enough. At least ask yourself what you would be willing to sacrifice in the fight for pro labor. Because I don't think sacrificing baseball games is a major concession. I might be wrong on that. Other people may have different values towards that, especially myself who thinks baseball season should be cut down to 100 games in the first place. So if that's something that you would draw the line on, that you want to start baseball in April, maybe ask yourself what you would be willing to sacrifice in the fight for pro-labor, especially in the case of baseball, and then maybe apply it to another context. Maybe your own job. Maybe one of your friend's jobs. Maybe the next time you see a story about labor fights at Amazon in Alabama or wherever other factories it might be, or hearing stories about Amazon workers pissing in bottles. Or, you know, target workers not being allowed to take breaks for 12 hours and things of these sorts. Maybe think about that the next time. What would you actively be willing to sacrifice uh, in helping organized labor in fights against management? And it's very important that you take this. I'm not even going to consider the pro-management one because, again, management does not need your help. You are not fighting a worthy cause if you are fighting pro-management. They do not need your help. It is very important to articulate and argue for pro-labor and to, to be willing to ask yourself at the bare minimum, what would you be willing to sacrifice in a fight for organized labor? New sponsor alert here on the Take It Easy podcast. It is Lightbox Jewelry. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, Lightbox Jewelry has cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds that you can find at a light price of just $800 per carat. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds. Never a dull moment. 
All right, so to put a pin on this week and get set for Sunday, even though we'll have Wired Up, of course, dropping Sunday morning to get you set maybe for the NFL or talk about something that happens, or maybe we'll have a story or something like that. Who knows? Uh, To get set for all of that, let us welcome in our good friend Walter Mitchell with his picks for the week. Uh. Start off, Cowboys at the Washington football team. The Cowboys are four-point favorites on the road. Well, I'm really enjoying that Washington team. Yeah, you like the, the green lizard, Taylor Heineke? And where is the game? Uh, at Washington. I'll go with Washington. Yeah, and you get the points on that one. Because yeah. Dallas is is favored in this game, I think that's about where I'd put it. Because I think Dallas is pretty good. Not sure how good, but pretty good. Uh, let's see. How about? Ooh, this is an interesting one. How about the Saints at the Jets? The Saints are six point favorites. I'll take the Jets and the points. This is, again, assuming Alvin Kamara is out. If Alvin Kamara plays, I'll give you a couple extra points on the back end. Okay. But this is assuming Alvin Kamara is not going to play in this game okay. for the Saints. All right. Uh, next up, let's do 49ers and Bengals, and it's a straight pick em. Pick the winner. Where's the game? At Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Easy enough. Chargers and Bengals, I feel like, are identically the same team. <laughs> I feel like both of those teams are just – I walked away from that feeling like, yeah, those teams are about the same. Both of them might make the playoffs. Seems to be the vibe there. Uh, let's see. How about the game of the week? How about Buffalo at Tampa Bay? Tampa is a three-point favorite at home. Buffalo on a short week, so I'll take Tampa. Yeah, this is – I just realized you now – this is wrong to do, but two outstanding Buffalo picks. So we're both picking against Buffalo twice in like seven days. So <laughs> the Bills have a chance to totally derail our season right now for both of us. <laughs> just totally derail everything here. All right, last uh, – well, let's see. <laughs> let's see how much you love you know, the Chicago Bears defense. They are at Green Bay on Sunday night. The Packers are 11.5-point favorites. Packers. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm thinking, too, is – Green Bay uh, uh, again. If, uh, if 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 it's Justin Fields, I'll probably or if it's Andy Dalton, I'll probably take a couple points. Uh, or wait, no. If it's Justin Fields, I'll give the Packers a couple more points. We just don't know who's going to start at QB at this point for Chicago, or okay. if Matt Nagy's going to make it, which is interesting because uh, apparently the Bears don't want to set the precedent of firing a coach mid-season for the first time in a hundred and two years. I don't know what they gain by firing him now, except maybe worry that he'll rally him down the stretch. Yeah, I I don't think they have to worry about that. But I I would just say, 
the thing that gives me pause for hiring an interim coach or yeah, hiring an interim coach is just, you can see if you're, if you're seriously thinking of hiring the interim coach, then you could go ahead and do it. If you're like the Texans last year where they just promoted Romeo Cornell with no intention of making him the new head coach, then yeah, I don't know. Unless you just really need to get the coach out of there. Like yeah. the, I, I don't even think the Bill O'Brien. I think the Dan Quinn one last year was closer to that, or Matt Patricia, where it's like, yeah, we just got to get this guy out of here at a certain point. Right. Which Chicago doesn't look at it that way. Like Gase made it all the way through last season, and he was he was doing worse than Matt Nagy. So yeah, it's the Bears are just going to hold on all the way through and wait on the 